Aaron, I've done the same thing. I'm just glad it was you that time and not me. Hey, my name's Tommy Staggs. Chris introduced me earlier, but I'm an associate minister here. Scott Wakefield, who typically preaches and brings our messages on vacation, uh, will be uh, away this week and the following week. Uh, So I get to continue with you and get to share with you. So love the opportunity to uh, to speak and to share. So that will be something we'll be continuing in this series that called Burned. Chris talked about that already some. Uh, we'll give you a little overview just in case you missed that. Don't worry. But as we prepare for that, we want to make sure that you have a uh, Bible with you and open and ready. So if you need a Bible, uh, you can get the attention of any of these guys who are standing, walking down the aisles. They have a handful of them ready to share with you. Uh, They would be glad to give you a Bible, and if you don't own one, uh, you can keep the one they give you. Um, If you just forgot yours at home, then feel free to borrow ours today. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 for most of what we talk about. I think um, Ephesians 4 is the only place I'll have you turn uh, while we are talking today. So that's um, they also have study guides if you need one of those for your life groups. While they're uh, finishing that up, let me tell you just a little bit about um, what's happened this week. Unless you've um, kind of uh, been out of it for a week, you probably had some friend somewhere who experienced a graduation this week. And if you got to celebrate that, uh, we love to celebrate that milestone in the moment of students. In fact, if Uh, You didn't know one of the places I spend a lot of my time here at church is with the students. And this Wednesday night, we're going to celebrate those students who have graduated from high school together. And we would invite you to uh, pray for them uh, along with us. If you uh, know and love one of our seniors, you're welcome to come and be a part of what we do on Wednesday night downstairs in our student center. We are going to pray for them. We're going to talk and give them some challenging words out of Scripture that uh, will really just challenge them that no matter where they end up uh, in the future, that what they can rely on is rely on God. And then we will um, give them a gift as a part of what we do in celebrating. And then we'll have a lot of good food um, at the end of that. Not only are we celebrating seniors that night, but if you are um, now, you've finished the fifth grade and you're a rising sixth grader, because that day that you walk out of that school, we know you're a sixth grader. Uh, We want to invite you to be a part of that. It will be your first Wednesday night in our youth group. So if you are a rising sixth grader or parent of a rising sixth grader, you're welcome to come and be a part of that uh, senior night this Wednesday night. I want to tell you just a little bit about um, some of the transition and change that's going on as, uh, as a part of what we're doing. Scott has mentioned for quite a while that there's some staff transition. Some of you know some of this uh, staff transition that's taking place with our children's program and how that's going to be filled. So we're currently without a full-time children's ministry director. And as we were looking and trying to look towards the summer and some of the stuff that would happen, we had hoped to have someone in, in place before then. Uh, we don't. And so as we looked at the summer, we made a tough decision to um, not participate in the, or not to lead the VBS this summer hard call to make, um, but we don't want you to think that we are giving up on kids uh, this this summer. In fact, we want you to know that our desire is not to underdo something and not do it well. 
our desire is to do something and do it with excellence. We want to do something well, and we want the kids to not just get the leftovers of our energy as we collaborate together, but we want them to receive the very best. And so part of what we did in that meeting was we dreamed about what could our summer programming look like for kids if we didn't just want to do um, maybe the same thing, but we wanted to increase the value of what they experience. And so one of the brainstorms we came up with for summer kids programs was something that we were had some friends that uh, live in Johnson City and we're doing this unique program um, about that is like a camp but it's at the church. And so we uh, wanted to share that with you um, as, as just a vision of here's what we'd love to do. We'd love to say that we want to elevate the value of kids' programs for the summer. So we're going to show you just a quick promo video, and then I'll give you an invitation to help make that happen. So here's a quick promo video of what we're thinking. is going to be doing that this summer at Grace Fellowship in Johnson City, and we're going to go in a couple weeks to see what that looks like. Um, The one thing I realized, we hesitated to show that video because if you saw that and you thought, well, my kids want to sign up right away, we don't have that to offer to them right away, but we did want to um, give you just a picture uh, that we value. We do value the children's programs, and we hope to bring uh, to dream big for next summer. And so if you're interested in going along with us to see how you could make that happen, uh, let one of our staff members know. We'd love to let you jump on board as we go and check that out and think about making that happen. We're going to continue in this sermon series today called Burned. Um, if you weren't here last week, 
then you might not have heard the introduction about what this sermon series is. It is a four-week series where we are talking about anyone who's experienced church hurt or been burned by church in some way. Last week, Scott talked about how, uh, giving an introduction, how it's so easy to be burned by church, and one of the unique things about that is that it's one of the places we would expect that not to happen. That was a message that as we began to put that out and, and promote, uh, promote this sermon series, we did a post on Facebook, and we recognized very quickly that people in our community were connecting with that message. There are some crazy um, numbers associated with that one post that we made and promoted that uh, with a video. You likely saw that if you're on Facebook because 13,000 people saw that post and then 10,000 of those 13,000 watched the video. And those are really impressive numbers for little old Greenville. Um, Those are impressive numbers, but they're not the the really important ones. The important numbers come next is that 750 of those people clicked and took action based on what they saw. Great number, but still not the best. 145 of you who saw that post made a decision that you were going to share it because you felt like this is something my friends on my social network will care about. You made the decision to share it because you felt like it was valuable for your circle of friends. 145 of you did that. Still not the best number. You know what the best number was? The best number out of all of that is that last week as we started, that there were 30 new friends who showed up here at church that we'd not met before because they were interested in hearing what we might have to say or what we might speak to in response to that. We love meeting new friends, but what was really just Uh, amazing for us is recognizing how this message connects with a group of people in a very unique way. And the bottom line out of all of that, this sermon series is making a connection with you. And that's bittersweet. It's bittersweet because it's good that you're connecting with it, but it's sad because what you're connecting with is an experience of pain. And what you've connected with in some way is a hurt that came at the hands of your church experience in some way. It makes it difficult because we all experience church hurt or know someone who who has. And the church that's supposed to be a place of hope and healing and love and peace and comfort is the very place where many people experience the very opposite of that. And they experience the pain of legalism or hypocrisy or hurtful words or gossip, betrayal, or even abuse. And the damage that comes from that is awful. And if you've experienced that, we want to tell you that we're sorry. We're sorry that that's a part of your story. We want to create as best as we can a place where we would help people come to find and to follow Jesus. And He is where our hope lies, is in Jesus. And that's what we want to do in this series. Uh, That's what we want to be about um, in this Church hurt is real, but we believe that the answer can be found in Jesus. And so we're going to point to him as we continue today. Uh, We're going to find um, our message from Ephesians chapter 4 today. So if you do have your Bible, will you open it? We're going to read together beginning in verse 15. It just jumps right in the middle of chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 15 and following. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, who is the head into Christ, from which the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, 
with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who to hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we ask for your presence to be among us, for your word to be brought to life as you animate it in our presence today. Work within our hearts, illuminating truth. May we find comfort and assurance that we need in your word. Would you move in our gathering so that we would hear the name of Jesus and be changed. We pray through Christ. Amen. Well, as I was preparing for this message, I was uh, about a week ago at a family gathering and we were sitting and we were having dinner together. Uh, Some of you know this, some of you may not. My younger sister attends church here. Um, I was the older brother. Yes, I was mean. Sorry, Anna. Um, So we attend church together that has its danger effect for me because there are times when I'll say, so I'm preaching this Sunday And we're sitting across the dinner table and we're talking about what we're preaching about. It's about rumors and her eyes just light up and she says, oh, I want to start a rumor about you. Um, I want to start gossip about you. I'll start it in my life group. And so we go on to start laughing about all the things that she might say about me as a sermon illustration, as a way to go about and see how many people heard this nasty rumor about me by the time Sunday happens. We go on, we laugh, we have the meal, and then it occurs to me that we never actually decided whether or not she was going to say that. So if you've heard a really poor rumor about me this week, it's probably not true. She was in first service. She almost said out loud, she said, no, I didn't say anything. So I do think I'm safe, um, but that doesn't mean that there weren't uh, some form of, of weird rumor that you may have heard. Um, because if you've, if you've been in church, you know that the reason that would be funny or the reason that would be true is because all too often rumors spread like crazy 
Gossip happens in churches. People say things that aren't true and they say it as if it is true and that results in pain and that results in hurt and questions and confusion. And while we can laugh about that is true and we can all relate to that time that the the prayer gathering turned into the gossip circle, we know that that is not just a thing that we laugh about. We laugh about it because it kind of hurts and that we know it, we've experienced it. And part of your story, and maybe while you're here, is, is your story might be associated with some form of hurt when it comes to gossip or slander or hurtful words within the church. Those are a real thing, and they result in real hurt. And we think back to that uh, rhyme that our parents likely taught us when we were in grade school about words, that sticks and stones would break your bones, but that words could never hurt me. And you remember saying that when you were young and you would repeat it in your mind so that maybe in some way those words wouldn't sting. And yet here you find yourself an adult remembering those words, which did in fact hurt very much. And when you recall hurtful words that come from a church experience, it creates a unique type of hurt. A hurt that's a little different than everything else because like we said, the church is a place that we want to find hope and we want to find peace and love and acceptance and safety. And when we don't, it's a uniquely deep hurt. Last week when Scott was with us, he shared some of his story about church hurt. And this week I'd like to share a little bit of mine and I would echo Scott's words that I don't want to be someone who overshares or someone who's just too dramatic. But I will tell you that telling a story like this today is hard for me, not because I've never said it out loud, but because I've never said it publicly. And so as I tell the story, it's one of those things that is uh, is personal, but I want to share because I think what it will do is help you understand I feel this like you do. I grew up and I did not grow up in what I would consider a legalistic uh, environment at all. But I did grow up in a church where I would hear all kinds of words about other people. Um, The phrases like, now did you hear about so-and-so? And could you believe what they did? And I learned really quickly at a very young age that there were people all around me that were watching and talking and judging and um, and so I learned as a clever young boy to do my very best to stay out of their critical eye and so I tried to hide or I tried to stay out of the spotlight just enough and I recognized that even though those words weren't directly pointed at me that people were watching in fact I remember my mom telling me as I got in trouble for doing something I shouldn't by the way that people are watching and that people are watching and they are judging uh, and making uh, having conversations that sometimes I'm not aware of. Those childhood hurts for me didn't just happen directly at church. In fact, some of the worst ones for me happened when I was in grade school. This book that I brought with me um, up here is a part of a program I'm doing and our church is doing called Regeneration Recovery. It's a recovery program. And in this book right here is a list of things for me that are things that hurt as a part of my uh, growing up. A lot of that, the things that hurt me are words that were spoken to me that were hurtful. I can remember, I could describe for you where I was sitting in a room, what was happening that day, the words that were said, because they hurt and they left a mark. 
And those things that took place when I was a child didn't just end as I came to be an adult. In fact, as I stepped into adulthood, one of the things that started to happen was that I stepped into ministry and I realized that the the hurtful words that happen in church don't just happen when you're a kid, that you'd be surprised what people are willing to say to you when you're in ministry about what they think about the church or the ministry you lead and what they really think about something that you said and it's hurtful. Or you find out from someone else that something was said behind your back that may or may not be true but results in pain. And so growing up and having that a part of my life, one of the things I learned as I worked through this material is that I have a fear of the pain that that causes, really a fear of being rejected or disliked or hurt. But before you start to feel sorry for me, there's a second half to this story. And the second half to the story is more important than the first. The first half is about the pain that I've experienced, and the second half is about how I reacted to that. My reaction to that was to begin to withdraw emotionally, withdraw away from community, isolate myself, and hide as much as I could. I still worked in a church. I still attended church. But what I ultimately did was withdraw away from those places where I felt like I might get rejected. It led me to isolate myself, and that wasn't just me. As I was married to my wife, Leslie, it became something that I then projected onto her. I would tell her to watch what you share with others because I knew that if somebody heard something, they might take it the wrong way, and that could result in gossip, and that could damage or hurt what we were doing in the church. I told her to make sure that she would filter her conversations and that she would be careful about the context in which she shared things and that she would, uh, didn't have to always be totally honest and just tell part of the story, not the whole story, because the people can't really handle the real us. And I would say things and I would project onto her what was ultimately my own fear of rejection. And so my response to my own pain was to weave and create in my own family more hurt, and more pain. You see, because I wasn't capable of handling the potential for gossip about me, I wasn't able to handle the hurtful words that someone might say about me, I cowered away, and I ended up restraining my wife from authentic and helpful community. I regret the way I acted. It is a sad reality of church hurt in my own life. And it's a complicated mess of where I found myself bringing the very thing that hurt me back into my own home and then to pile on top of all that. I wasn't always only the recipient of hurtful words. Sometimes I was the participant of hurtful words. I all too often would chime in when gossip was being spread or hurtful words were being said about someone else. And so my entire story, in all honesty, is a disaster. I feel like a mess when it comes to this hurtful words and gossip and church hurt. And I tell you that not because I want to overload you, and I know looking at your faces right now you feel a little defeated, I don't want to overload you 
with the mess that is my life. But I tell you that because what I believe is that some of you sitting out there right now feel like your story is a little messy too. Your story is messy and filled with hurt. And it's not just the hurt done to you, but some of it's the hurt that you've done to others. That we get this woven up mess and then we don't necessarily know how to deal with it. We feel and experience the damage and then we find ourselves then recreating it in the lives of those that we love the most. Realizing it's a complicated mess and that I am in no way qualified to tell you anything about it is why I'm glad that Ephesians 4 is written in our Bibles today. Because the, the qualification comes from God in His Word today. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 together. And we're going to spend most of our time on one verse. And then we'll go quickly through the rest of it. Um, so if you will, look at Ephesians chapter 4 again. Open up there. Uh, and we're going to jump into verse 15. You caught this as we were going through it the first time that we jump in halfway in the middle of what Paul is writing. He's been writing earlier about unity in the church and about building up the body of Christ. And so we jump into that conversation in verse 15, kind of partway through as he's working that out. And it begins, and you catch that with the first word, rather, which points us backwards, um, as a new way of life. Paul is calling for unity. So he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. If you have a pen and you're cool with writing in your Bible, then if you just underline the words in love, maybe you want a box around it, maybe you're creative and you'd put a heart around it because it says love. However you want to do that, uh, highlight or emphasize those words in love. And this is why, if you miss everything else that we say today, I want you to catch and to understand that love is the key to understanding how do we get from this mess that I just started with to the very end. Love is the key uh, to finding that out. And the reason that I want you to underline that, and I don't want you to miss it, is because what happens with verse 15 is that so often this verse gets misused or becomes the excuse for people in the church doing this completely wrong. We read that verse and we say, well, it calls me to speak the truth, and so I'm going to really tell you what I think. And we end up saying these mean or hurtful words, or we start to speak into someone's life and tell them what we consider the truth in a hurtful and harmful way. Deep down, what's going on inside of our hearts, we often believe that this unfiltered, heartfelt thought that we have is really what is true. We are convinced in our culture that the truest form of you is what it would be the unfiltered thoughts of your heart. Scripture tells us something different, though, about our hearts. It tells us in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 17, that the heart is deceitful above all things. And then Jesus teaches about something very similar in Matthew 15, where he says, out of the heart comes, and he lists evil thoughts and all these poor things, that out of the heart comes these things. God recognizes this truth about our hearts, that our hearts without His Holy Spirit are sinful and a wreck. And if we think that just unfilter and dump our hearts on somebody is really the truth, then we've messed it up. And I think we mess this up when we try and say, I'm just going to be totally honest with you and here's what I think about you. And that is not what this passage is about. Speaking the truth, this passage in Ephesians, this is not an excuse for you to be mean to someone. This is not an excuse for you to just dump out every emotion you might possibly feel about someone or something. To speak the truth 
We need to know what the truth is. In John chapter 14, Jesus says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And then three chapters later in John 17, Jesus says and reminds us as He's praying that God's Word is truth. Here in this very passage, we see that Jesus is the truth. So what is truth? It is God's Word. God's Word is truth. You know, God made us with this filter that when I look at another human being and I speak to them, that I would feel a sense of love for them and then not say those mean things that are sinful inside of my heart. You are not being untrue by holding that in. You are not being untrue by allowing that God-given filter to work its way as you speak the truth in love. Here's the deal with that, though. We often speak the truth and then tag on the love at the end. And we need to flip that around. We need to recognize that if you're trying to speak the truth to somebody and then tag on, but I love you, they're not going to feel very loved. Some of you may have seen a preacher on the Internet who uh, gets up in a pulpit and proceeds to just um, complain and cut down and hurt all these people by name in the congregation. And then he tags on the end of that phrase, but I love you. And I'll tell you what, if you watch that clip on YouTube, you don't feel that he loves anyone very much. If you don't already have a relationship with someone that is marked by love, where the foundation of that relationship is already marked by love, to speak the truth ahead of love is getting it backwards. Paul assumes as he writes this that the Christians have a love relationship with one another through Jesus Christ. And that becomes the foundation for the speaking of truth. When a relationship that you have with someone is not already marked by love, what they're probably going to hear is hurt and rejection and not truth. I was thinking about the difference between a critic and a coach as I was working through that because I always thought one of my dreams would be to be a food critic. Maybe I have friends in the room, food critics. Because what a great job. People cook you the very best food they could possibly work up ever. Place it in front of you. And then you get to go and tell them, oh, here's how you could make that better. Yeah, I didn't like that so much. It was just not very good. And you get to eat the very best of what exists and then just complain about it. It just seems like a great job. Some of you know, have you ever, you know what it's like to be a critic, right? Some of you ever experienced the critic in church? Don't point fingers. Don't point. You know the critic in church, right? You know the one who's the church critic. Uh, they've got all the things. They can tell you everything that's wrong about every church and every person. You know, there's a difference between a critic and a coach. The coach also recognizes what's wrong. A coach recognizes why the team's not performing well. But the difference between a coach is that they then begin to develop a plan and they invest personally in how they can make that better. They recognize the problem and then they lead the people to make it better. And there's a difference between a coach and a critic. And sometimes we just love to be critics and we need to be a little more like a coach. So we're going to blast through the rest of chapter four. It's a long text. So good stuff, but we're going to blast through at a much faster pace. So hang on as we go through. Verse 16 is going to continue this thought. We're growing up into Christ. And here's the thought we get from verse 16, that it is Christ who holds the body, which is the church, the body together, that, that Jesus holds that 
together. Here's the point that we want to grab out of that. It's not your job to hold the body of Christ together. That's Jesus's job. So you can just take that off your plate as a responsibility that you may feel. The body is united and held together by Christ. We don't have to worry about that. Verse 17. So then he continues. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. Don't live like the Gentiles. In other words, don't live like people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Don't live the way that everybody else does who doesn't know this good news of Jesus. Don't live like that. That mindset's wrong. Christian, church, we are called to live differently. And Paul carries on throughout this, as we read just a moment ago, he carries on throughout this whole section about the ways that we are called to live differently. We're not called to live differently by following this unique set of rules and this external standard. He calls us to live differently by setting this all up to tell us that there is an old life and a new life. And the new life is what we are called to. So he says in verse 20, that's this old life, that's not what you learned in Christ. Those are old ways. We have abandoned those. Verse 23 says, you are to be renewed renewed in the spirit of your minds. You know what's interesting about verse 23? That's the only place in the whole New Testament the word renewed is written there. If you just read that kind of just as a literal translation, another way you could hear that would be, let yourself be renewed. Let yourself be renewed. It's not that we never see the word renewed, but this this one is just, is let yourself be renewed. Allow God to work out inside of you the new life that is in Christ. Put off the old and put on the new, verse 24. Put on the new self that God is doing inside of each one of us through inward renewal by His Holy Spirit. And then verse 25, because of all this, therefore, having put away falsehood, speak the truth. Don't be known for speaking what is not true. Speak what is true. Christians should have a reputation for truthfulness. Verse 26 through 28 are fantastic verses. You could preach a sermon just on those alone. They are are good, good words. But since our focus is on our speech and gossip and harmful uh, words, let's look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. You know, the, the word for corrupting, another way you could translate that would be rotten. Uh, and it's a word that Jesus used when he was teaching. The exact same Greek word, um, uh, uh, sapros, is the word that he used when he was teaching about um, the tree that had bad fruit. He said that, that rotten fruit doesn't come from good trees. It comes from diseased or hurt trees. Jesus talks about that in Luke chapter 6. And so he says the good tree is good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. And then he says words come out of the heart. What does your heart look like? And so we can take that and we can recognize that because Jesus taught that way, that it's appropriate for us to use some, um, some connections between the fruit and our words. Here's what I know about rotten fruit. It smells terrible. Rotten fruit smells terrible and rotten words smell terrible. Rotten fruit, if you eat it, will make you sick. And when we serve up rotten words, they make others sick. They don't nourish. 
rotten fruit is not going to nourish you and neither do rotten words. You know, if I have a, a nice big bowl of strawberries and all of them are delicious except for that one icky one that tastes fuzzy, you know what I mean. The whole bowl starts to taste fuzzy. Sometimes just one rotten word in the middle of a whole bunch of otherwise good words makes the whole thing feel a little wrong and rotten. Our words are to be different. Our words are called to be different, and they are to be used to build up and unify the church. And, and then in Ephesians 4, it says that we are to use them to give grace. Here's the bottom line. Our words are supposed to be marked by a spirit of helpfulness for the building up of others and of God's church. And when we don't, verse 30, we not only hurt others, we grieve the Holy Spirit. It's not only others that we hurt when we use poor speech. We also grieve the Holy Spirit because God's Spirit is grieved when the church is divided and when His people hurt. And so verse 31 and 32 lead us through um, some instruction of uh, how do we avoid hurting others. We put aside some things so that we can put on kindness and have a tender heart, forgiving one another because God has forgiven us in Christ. What a great passage of Scripture. What a great walkthrough of how we can learn But as great as that passage is, if it were this uh, simple formula for fixing everything, we'd have done it already. Because let me tell you, I've read that before. And I confessed earlier that I have also messed up so much. One of the reasons I think I've messed up with my speech and I felt the pain before is because it's so easy to let words fall out of our mouths that we don't intend to say. Gossip is so easy to give into. Because it's a quick venting of frustration. When I can talk about somebody else, for some reason it makes me feel better about myself. And just like a little adrenaline boost, I give in to that over and over and over again. We love to be people who could share the news. Gossip tells us that we're interesting to other people. And that if we have news to share, whether true or not, that people find us interesting. And so we become addicted to that. You see, gossip is sneaky. It, it lures us in to thinking that we're doing good by making other people feel, oh, you've got interesting things to say. You have, uh, you have important stuff to tell me. But all the while, it's luring us in. Gossip and sometimes other forms of hurtful speech can trick us into thinking that we are being loving and helpful when the only person that we're really loving is ourselves. I confessed that that was a part of my own story to you, and I wonder if you would be strong enough today to confess that that might be a part of your story. That as you think you're being loving and pointing out everything in other people's lives, or structuring some gossip circle so that somebody would stop doing some behavior that you just heard that they were doing, that really what you're doing is not loving that person, but you're loving yourself. You see, gossip is sneaky. It fools us into self-love before we realize we've even given in. And so the truth that we can learn from this passage does go back to those words in love. Do we speak God's truth in love? 
And are we really loving others? Or are we loving ourselves? Paul is calling us, and I believe all of Scripture, to be different. Could you imagine if we were? How different our church would look or feel, the experience. Could you imagine what it would feel like that we could stop that church hurt, that we could recover from the places that we are hurt. We know that in one sermon, in one series, we can't do all of that, but we want to create a place where you can find the direction to receive true um, uh, restoration, true hope, and actual new life, and that place is in Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to hear that it comes from anywhere else today except in Jesus. And some of you here have never experienced that for yourself and saying yes to Jesus and finding the hope that comes in Him. And if that's you today, we're going to give you a moment where we can just give you that one moment in your life to respond, to say yes to Jesus for the first time ever. We want to be a place where we're offering you not a perfect congregation of people that never mess up. We will mess up. We are not offering you this preacher up here who's like i've got it figured out i confess i do not but what i have to offer and what i give to you and what we give as first christian church is we give to you jesus christ as he was given to us um, and we were entrusted to that message and we share with you that there is hope and there is new life found in jesus christ if you want to respond to that today we're going to sing a song in just a moment and there's some Folks that will be right over here uh, at the side, if you want to respond and say yes to Jesus for the first time, we'd love for that to be part of your story. But this morning, perhaps you've already responded to Jesus and you are already a Christian. We're going to participate in communion. And one of the things that might prompt for you as you respond in communion is to respond and to confess, I've not done this well. And that you confess in that moment as you are faced with the reality of what God has done for you, that you confess your sin and that you repent of the ways that you've been harming others. Maybe that's your response or maybe you just want to begin to pray. If you'd like to respond, you can go over here to the side and and speak with them. You can fill out the response card. But if you need to respond, we'd invite you to. We're going to share in communion um, and it will be passed out as we sing. Just ask that you would hold on to those elements. We'll come back up and we'll take those together after everyone's received. Let's pray. Father, we do desire to take your word seriously, to hear the hard truth that we need to hear, and also to be willing uh, and able to be healed by those words of healing we find and that we know through Jesus. Forgive us for where we have caused harm. Forgive us for our part that we have played in church hurt. Change our words. Mark us by love. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.